This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about sweet potatoes. One of my very favorite foods. Yeah? Yes. It's been on our short list probably forever. I think before <laughs> this show started, I had a And list. he was like, yes, sweet potatoes. <laughs> we must talk about it in some way or another on some show or another. Well, there you go. And it's finally happening. Aw. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I love sweet potatoes. I love sweet potato fries, sweet potato pie, sweet potato casserole. Oh, I love it so much <laughs> that I successfully <laughs> campaigned to have it once in the spring. Because I was mad that you only have it like twice a year and it's at the same time of year. Right. Yeah. Spread the love around. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. And yes, this year I was successful. Um, and <laughs> I, I just like sweet potatoes plain. Straight up. Oh, yeah, there's, like, few things in this world are better than, like, a really slow-roasted sweet potato. You mm. don't even really need, like, butter or sugar if you do it right. And there's science behind that. <laughs> yes. Yes, and we will get to that. Yes, but that's so long from now. Mm-hmm. That's right now. Right now. It's time for our question. Sweet potatoes. What are they? Well, they're not potatoes. no. Botanically speaking, uh, a sweet potato is the tuberous root of a viney plant in the morning glory family. Oh, that's and one of my favorite flowers. I know, right? The flowers on sweet potatoes are gorgeous. Yes. The vines are gorgeous, too. They're real pretty. Um, uh, that other potato is a distant cousin. Um, it's in the nightshade family, though. And the part of the, of the potato potato that we eat isn't the actual root of the plant, but a sort of offshoot. 
Also, if you eat the the stems and leaves of that potato, that's poisonous. Don't do that. Oh. But the stems and leaves of sweet potatoes are just fine. Make sure you know what you're getting into potato-wise. <laughs> Always make sure you know what's going on <laughs> with potatoes. Have you ever bought something? I think the first time I did this, it was rhubarb. And it comes with that message that's like, don't you dare eat this. It's yeah. toxic. <laughs> oh, like, gosh. Oh, well, thanks for selling it to me, food store. I know. I'm very glad that this note is here. <laughs> anyway, different episode. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, anyway, the um, the part of the sweet potato, in contrast to the potato potato that most of us eat, that, that root, um, is where the plant stores sugars and nutrients so that it can survive cool winter weather um, and shorter days and then grow again in the summer. And they're tropical and or subtropical, which is information that I did know before we embarked on the research for this episode because of adventures in gardening. Oh, unsuccessful <laughs> adventures in I yeah most sweet potato vines will not tolerate frost or like anything below 40 degrees oh. like they get like me they get titchies like anything below 50 it's your spirit vegetable it is it's my vegetable patronus <laughs> i can just imagine a sweet potato <laughs> stay back dementors <laughs> this potato means business <laughs> Oh, all right. I okay. That that bears more development. It does, and possibly illustration. I think so. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, I, I have. I do possess an extremely sad looking sweet potato plant, like Charlie Brown Christmas sad. Oh dear. Yeah, it's. I'll take a photo for you guys. Uh, sweet potatoes will not always flower and seed. They're they're concentrating on making making that tuberous root. Yeah. Many sweet potatoes will grow instead by sending off new shoots from the original plant. Huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who grow sweet potatoes recommend that you keep the vines on uh, trellises up off the ground because if they grow along the ground, they will just shoot ton of little sweet potatoes like a whole bunch around your garden rather than larger, more, you know, satisfying tuberous roots. Oh, I'm intrigued though. <sighs> tuberous root is a really great phrase. Yes, that is – okay, Harry Potter, one more reference. What if there was a band? Like, that sounds like a band, a wizarding band or a witchy band. Absolutely. Oh. Tuberous roots. I have so many t-shirt ideas, and it's only been like four minutes. (laughs) It's perfect. Okay. Um, (laughs) Those roots are uh, tapered oblongs with a thin but tough skin encasing all of that tasty food that the plant has stored for the winter. And there are a lot of varietals. They can range in color from um, uh, skin color from white to tan to red to purple and flesh color from white to orange to pink to purple. There's one variety called the creamsicle because it has white flesh and an orange interior. And I think that is so cute. Oh, that is cute. Um, And the flavor is generally sweet. Uh, with kind of sides of like nutty or malty or pumpkin-y flavors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And types. There are so many types. I've had white and purple, sometimes called Japanese yams. Um, I, I went on a quest. Like, I drove Lauren and Lauren knows that's a big <laughs> oh, deal. You don't. Find. Yeah, Annie doesn't drive. No, not unless I have to. And I had to find a purple sweet potato. And I did. <laughs> and well, it was wonderful. Well, good for you. Yeah. Um, Two main types are grown here in the United States. The Jersey variety are um, dry fleshed. These are a bit drier. (laughs) And the southern moist flesh variety, which is sweeter and waterier and often called yams. And I will say from doing the research on this episode, there is a lot of confusion. Like that was the first thing that came up. Like sweet potatoes versus yams. yams. What What are they? Yams, however, they, they are their own thing. 
It originated in China. Yeah, whole other episode. Um, they're big in many parts of Africa. And by big, I mean both popular and they can grow to be like human-sized. Yeah. So, oh, yes. Excited to go down that rabbit hole in the future. Yes. The confusion of terms has gone on for so long that the U.S. Department of Agriculture requires all products labeled as yam be accompanied by sweet potato. Just so people know what they're getting into. Exactly. Yeah. The two varieties that, that you mentioned a second ago tend to cook up a little bit differently. The dry ones go fluffy like potato potatoes, and the moist varieties go kind of creamy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The most commercially grown, certainly here in the United States, and I, and I think in other places as well, is a varietal called the Beauregard that was developed in the 1980s in response to a number of diseases that were wiping out sweet potato crops. Um, it's also a really high producer, and that combo, yeah, makes it, makes it pretty popular. Some people, though, contend that the Beauregard is an unhappy medium, um, like not sweet enough and a little bit too starchy. Oh, dear. I know. Oh, dear. Sweet potato controversy. Always. Huh. The leaves are also edible, as I said before, and can be used sort of like spinach, um, either raw in salads or cooked down. I have not tried them. Um, I didn't know they were edible until basically today. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I hear that they're a mild green, only a little bit bitter and, like, not too sharp tasting. Hmm. Yeah. All I'll right. have to bring some in if that plant recovers. I, oh, I am, my thoughts are with your plant. <laughs> I'm very bad with plants, so I can't oh. help you, but um, I, I hope for the best. I think it's going to be okay. Oh, I hope so. It's got a couple new little leaves. I didn't want to—I was thinking about plucking them and bringing them in for us to try, but then, no, I felt too bad. <laughs> yes. Anyway. I understand. And uh, the sweet potato is another plant that creates latex um, in the tuber and in its leaves, shoots, and roots. So, you know, thing to be aware of. Huh. And while I was looking into this, other plants— that are listed in the like the latex sensitivity thing include bell peppers and pineapples and cucumbers and a lot of the stuff that I have problems with. Do I have a latex sensitivity? Is this my problem? We should find out. I know I really wanted to, but there was a lot to read about sweet potatoes. So, oh, lots of homework, lots of t-shirt ideas. True. Did you ever watch Zoom? Zoom? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> no answer. <laughs> yes, that, that is that is a no. That is the, uh, what is Zoom? It was like a PBS science show where a bunch of kids just conducted science experiments. Oh, that sounds awesome. And my favorite, um, one of the kids, her name was Zoe, and she had a really severe latex allergy. Oh, no. And when you're doing like science experiments, oh, yeah. it can be like a, but I, re- I just remember she would always say it like before they would do something. Like, oh. Because I have this latex thing, we have to do this. <laughs> Anyway, no one gets that, but maybe two people. Every time I, I hear latex allergy, though, I think of that. And Zoe. Oh. Zoe from Zoom. Zoe from Zoom. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, what else is great? Maybe it's the nutrition of the sweet potato. Yeah. Um, all those colors mean that sweet potato roots are stocked up with micronutrients. Um, and it depends from variety to variety, but they tend to have a lot of beta carotene, um, which our bodies use to make vitamin A. Like... In a single cup of sweet potato, you get nearly 400% of your daily recommended intake of vitamin A. Wow. Yeah. Um, plus a smattering of other vitamins and minerals. Um, they do have sort of a lot of sugar, but some protein, too, and some fiber. Overall, they're they're pretty good for you, though I wouldn't say necessarily that they're better than potato potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is something that people claim a lot. Sure. Well, I mean, they do have more vitamin A. Yeah. Depends what you're looking for. Exactly. Numbers. Um, To add to the confusion about the names around sweet potato and yam, in China, where yams are thought to have developed, 
It's now the number one producer of sweet potatoes. Oh. Whoa. China <laughs> accounted for 80% of the world's supply in the 90s, about 130 million tons. But a lot of that, like 60% a lot, goes to feeding their pigs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, another like livestock. Sure, yeah. It is a very popular uh, livestock food. Yes, also in pet food. Oh, sure. I read that by the acre, sweet potatoes produce more pounds of food than all other cultivated plants. Wow. Yeah. All right. I couldn't find that in any other place, though, so, you know. <laughs> you know, um, people all around the world eat sweet potatoes in all kinds of ways. Or drink. Like in the case of the Japanese shochu, which is distilled from rice, barley, and sweet potatoes, among other things. The result is less than 45% alcohol by volume, usually around 24%. And I've had some in Atlanta. It's very interesting. Oh, I love shochu. Um, there are a lot of different kinds with a lot of different flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I mean, some of them taste basically like like a vodka, like a real neutral spirit. But some of them are uh, are very funky and flavorful. And, yeah. Oh, I love them. It's a whole world. It is. Yes, probably Definitely. Another episode. Yes. But we'll touch on it here. Um, Korea's soju can also be made with sweet potatoes. And, yeah, just so many amazing savory and sweet dishes. Um, plus, sweet potatoes can be processed into flour for, like, noodles or other doughs. Yeah. yeah. Sweet potato ravioli a couple Ooh. years back. It was so good. Oh, goodness. Mm. The world's highest per capita sweet potato consumption coming in at 380 pounds or 174 kilograms goes to the South Pacific's Solomon Islands. One of the reasons sweet potatoes are popular in that area is because they're a great emergency crop when it comes to flooding. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The average per capita consumption in the United States, however, comes in around four pounds a year. That's about two kilograms. And food historians think this might be because we associate it with hardship because it's pretty sustaining and hardy it, it, it was a go-to during times like the Great Depression. Most sweet potatoes in the U.S. are purchased during the holiday season. That does not surprise me at all. Again. <sighs> <laughs> it's an all-the-time food. It is. It should be. It should be. It should be. Well, uh, we've got some history for you, as we usually do. But first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. 
So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So (laughs) there's actually been a lot of interesting recent research into the origin of the sweet potato. And this research seems to indicate that it is probably... A lot older than we thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love this. Yeah. The first records of cultivation put it in Peru um, by 750 B.C., but other archaeological evidence suggests cultivation could go back even further, possibly 2,500 to 1850 B.C.E. Oh, wow. That seems to be the consensus these days. And again, this is pretty recent. Yeah, in the past couple of years. Yeah. The oldest wild sweet potato we know of goes back to 8,000 B.C.E. in Peru. But another theory puts the sweet potato's origins in India, or at least the Morning Glory family that the sweet potato is part of their origins. Uh, Yeah, there was this whole kerfuffle about this in 2018 um, because a fossil was found in modern-day India dated to 57 million years ago that appears to be in the Morning Glory family. Um, Previously, the oldest evidence that we had of the family was 35 million years ago in North America. And This basically means that nightshades and morning glories split off from their common ancestor way earlier than anyone previously thought. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's um and, and it's been it's been contentious or contended rather because uh because fossils of the morning glory family don't really I mean, it's a really delicate plant, like it doesn't set up for fossils that well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Hmm. But I love I love it. I do too. There isn't consensus around how sweet potatoes made their way to Polynesia, but they were there by 1200 CE, and when Captain Cook arrived to New Zealand in 1769 CE, it was one of the primary foods of the Maori. We know this thanks to research that looked into the DNA of 1,245 sweet potatoes and dried sweet potato remains in the London Museum. What? Yes. Oh, that's great. Way later, in 1950, a man by the excellent name of Flora Heyerdahl tested his theory that long before any Europeans arrived, indigenous Peruvians brought sweet potatoes with them to Polynesia when they migrated there by sailing with five men on a raft made from balsa wood. And it was designed using materials that they would have had and based on very early designs. And yeah, they made it across the Pacific to Polynesia. It was called the Kon-Tiki Expedition. Other historians think it's the other way around, that Polynesians made the journey to South America, and they might have brought chickens with them, too. Ooh. Yes, chicken intrigue. New Zealanders use the minority name for sweet potatoes to this day. That name happens to be very close to Central and South American words for sweet potatoes. Coincidence? 
It might be, but there is a third theory. New research, again from 2018, big year for sweet potato science. Uh, new research reveals that the direct ancestors of sweet potatoes made their way over to Polynesia way before humans were moving around, mm -hmm. um, like at least 100,000 years ago. And this theory goes that Polynesian sweet potatoes developed independently of South American sweet potatoes from a couple things in the same genus. Many theories. I love it. I do too. By the time Columbus arrived towards the end of the 1400s, sweet potatoes were a well-established crop in South and Central America. Columbus brought some of the sweet potatoes back with him to Spain, where people called it just potato, causing much hilarity and confusion for researchers and historians <laughs> trying to figure out what folks meant back then. The Incas called the sweet potato patata, which might be where the Spanish word patata and thus the English word potato derive from. That's also where the uh, scientific classification comes from, Ipamoya batatas, I think. It was introduced to China towards the end of the 1500s, where it quickly spread throughout Asia and later to Africa. And a brief shochu aside, okay. uh, first appeared in Japan in records around this time as well. And graffiti in the wooden planks of a shrine made by two carpenters reads, The high priest is so stingy, he never once gave us shochu to drink. What a nuisance. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, John Gerard included the sweet potato in his 1597 work, Herbal or General History of Plants. According to him, it was usually roasted and either infused with wine or seasoned with oil and vinegar and salt or boiled with prunes. Also, according to him, it helped in comforting, strengthening, and nourishing the body, but also in, quote, procuring bodily lust. Oh, aphrodisiac. <laughs> Allegedly, this might be one reason they were popular for the upper class. Ah. Henry VIII certainly seemed to enjoy them, particularly in spiced sweet potato pie. Huh. The sweet potato was pretty readily accepted and lauded among the aristocracy. Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor from 1602 mentioned sweet potatoes in the context of them being a very lavish, desirable thing. Kind of like make it rain, but with sweet potatoes, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> um, in 1620, Thomas Dawson's Book of Cookery came with a recipe featuring sweet potato that he described as, quote, a tart to cause courage either in man or woman. To cause courage. To cause courage. Hmm. I like it. Sweet potato, like the name, didn't come around until the 1740s when American colonists encountered the white potato and needed a way to differentiate the two. George Washington grew sweet potatoes because, of course, he did. Mm -hmm. The word yam might have come from West African Wolof slaves in the United States using an African word for yam, nyami, to describe American sweet potatoes. The first American cookbook, American Cookery from 1796 by Amelia Simmons, had a recipe for sweet potato pudding, and it's pretty close to the recipes we have today for sweet potato casserole, milk, nutmeg, egg whites, and mashed sweet potato. And by the 1870s, sweet potatoes were associated with Thanksgiving, so pretty much as soon as Thanksgiving was a thing. Wow, yeah. When it comes to candied sweet potatoes, Americans were doing that by at least 1880, if not sooner. A glazed sweet potato recipe could be found in the 1893 Boston Cooking School Cookbook. A similar recipe appeared in the 1896 Texas Farm and Ranch book, Sweet Potato Culture for Profit, a full account of the origin, history, and botanical characteristics of sweet potatoes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. 
George Washington Carver got in on the sweet potato action as well, pulling together over 100 recipes, including sugared or candied sweet potatoes. He also came up with a bunch of different products uh, that sweet potatoes could be used for, like vinegar, synthetic rubber, tapioca, flour, ink, the sticky stuff on stamps, and over 500 types of dye. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very lovely color. It is. Um... Street vendors in early 20th century American cities would sell roasted sweet potatoes out of carts in the winter. Um, uh, same carts might might sell a roasted corn on the cob in the summer. Oh, wish we still did that. I know. But what about the marshmallow? We have an episode for it if you want further information. <laughs> but here we're talking about the combo of sweet potato and marshmallow, which as I said before, well, that is not a thing in my family. No, no, no. But I know that a lot of people do it. Yes. This combo goes back to at least 1919 when the Barrett Company released a pamphlet titled Sweet Potato and Yams that suggested the addition of marshmallows to candied yams. And as you probably suspect, the purpose of this pamphlet was to get people to use more marshmallows. <laughs> well, success, yes, I guess. Good job. <laughs> yeah, another recipe for sweet potatoes topped with marshmallows appeared in 1928's Vital Vegetables by Ida C. Bailey. And the South might have adopted sweet potatoes more readily as a replacement for pumpkin in its seasonal dishes. To this day, North Carolina produces the most sweet potatoes in the United States. Interestingly, though, the marshmallow-sweet potato combo really took off in the North at first. And I do seem to recall that because of the fluffernutter sandwich also was oh, a yeah. big thing. In, in the North, yeah. Hmm. Marshmallow times. Marshmallow times. Um, sweet potatoes might have gotten a boost in popularity when various waves of, like, Polynesian kitsch culture uh, struck the United States, but perhaps especially in the 50s and 60s with grill-out culture expanding. Mm. Oh, and uh, 1987 is when that Beauregard variety was introduced. It came specifically out of Louisiana State University in response to uh, wilting and rotting crops in the area and was named for French-Louisiana Confederate General Pierre-Gustave Toutain Beauregard, um, because apparently the researcher who developed the variety, uh, Larry Ralston, was a Civil War history nerd. Huh. All right. In 1989, the National Sweet Potato Association decreed that sweet potato should be spelled as one word. This is because they thought that the two words together separately, implying <laughs> uh, it is a potato that is sweet as opposed to what it actually is. Which is botanically different. Exactly. Yeah. But folks largely ignored the Sweet Potato Council. How could they? Uh, the, oh, the Sweet Potato Association. Excuse me. Right. Um, but both spellings are accepted oh. to this day. Hmm. In 2003, shochu experienced a significant jump in popularity. I read that um, the popularity went up so much recently in Japan it caused a sweet potato shortage. Oh, no. But then I couldn't find any article translated in English, so hard to say. But if anyone in Japan has information about that, they'd love to send us. Please, please, please. Yeah. Um, some distilleries have even started popping up in the U.S. making shochu. Oh, that is very exciting. It is. It is. And I would say with the – I was trying to think of when the sweet potato fry started to really – take off in the U.S., and I think it was when, like, all of the concern around carbs and gluten and oh. potatoes being painted in this, like, different... In this negative light. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, like, but the sweet potato, not as bad. Like we mentioned at the top. But sure. It's, really it's a vegetable. What you're going for. Oh, yes. Well, mm -hmm. there you go. There you go. <laughs> 
that brings us to the end of our history section. We do have a little bit more for you here, but first we've got one more of those quick breaks for a word from our sponsor. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back thank you sponsor yes thank you we're back with some science yes i have first a science cooking note um which i mentioned kind of at the top of the show yeah you can bring out the sweetness in your sweet potatoes by exposing them to low heat for an hour or two before you actually cook them um and that's because some of the sugars in sweet potatoes are locked up in in longer chains of starches 
But the sweet potatoes also contain this this enzyme that's primed to break down its starches. Um, that's to create a bioavailable food source for the plant when it's ready to sprout. Yeah, um, and you can trigger this enzyme with heat between about 135 and 170 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about 57 to 77 Celsius. Below that, it's not going to really do anything. Above that, the protein is going to start to denature, like unravel, and stop doing its job. But yeah, right, right in that sweet spot. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even mean to. Oh, we, we, a lot of times we don't. It's just who we are. <laughs> it's who we are inside. Yep. You're welcome and sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so, so yeah, r- r- right, right in that sweet spot. Um, if you happen to have a sous vide, uh, you, can, you can give them a, a sealed water bath at that temperature for an hour or two before you cook them. Or... Uh, Easier, you can you can just wrap them tightly in tin foil and roast them lower than uh, most recipes would recommend it, like two fifty to three hundred. That's about one hundred fifty Celsius for a couple hours, which yes is less fussy and will do just about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and hat tip to my very favorite food science writer, J. Kenji Lopez Alt over at Serious Eats for looking into this one mm-hmm. and writing about it. Related though, if you grow sweet potatoes at home, you'll probably be directed to cure them before you cook and eat them. And in this case, curing them means keeping them warm and humid for a few days, which will also activate that enzyme and bring out some of the sugars. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I I have to say, like, as someone, I love sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. as I made clear. But <laughs> I don't eat them very often because <laughs> I almost always hurt myself when I'm trying to cut a sweet potato. <laughs> and it got to the point where I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to make this a treat. <laughs> No. Yeah, I, I don't know how. Like, you know, they're they're tough to cut. Sure. Um, and I got good. Like, I have a good knife. I got a like pretty good one. But somehow, I still always. And then one time, I ugh, very oh. with the peeler. Oh, oh my no. gosh, it was terrible. Oh goodness. Um. No. Yeah. One time when I was baking it, I don't. I need to go into my history. But just be assured, it was enough where I'm like, well, the sweet potato curse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I will give you one more fun tip, um, uh, and that's that if you if you peel a sweet potato, you're going to remove some of its capacity to, like, keep its good nutrient stuff inside of it while it cooks. Mm-hmm. So if you cook it with the skin on, A, you don't have to mess with the peeler and skin your hand, and uh, and B, uh, yeah, more more better nutrients. I'm usually too lazy to be on it. Like if any <laughs> recipe that says peel something, I'm like, nah, like nope, nope. Do I really need to? <laughs> but sometimes if I'm cooking for other people, then I try to be a little faster. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm so glad we finally got to talk about the sweet potato. Yeah. Oh. And this brings us to listener mail. The sweet potato bursting forth <laughs> into the world. <laughs> Sarah Beth wrote, I have lived in Thailand for nine years and thoroughly enjoy all the tropical fruit. I have banana trees in my yard that grow the short, stubby variety of bananas, not the long ones that you typically get in the United States. They are sweeter and make my banana bread super delicious. I bet they do. Oh, yeah. But enough about bananas. On to jackfruit. The first time I had jackfruit was here in Thailand, and I really didn't like it. But a Thai friend had bought the whole fruit, and I was culturally obligated to have more than just a bit. (laughs) She basically wouldn't leave me alone until I had helped her eat about a fourth of the entire fruit with her. 
After choking down the fruit, I tried to analyze why I didn't like it. The actual taste is great. It is slightly sweet and filling. I finally figured it out. It was texture. When we Westerns think of fruit, we often think of juicy watermelons, apples, oranges, or pineapples. The latex texture you ladies talked about in your podcast was what totally threw me for a loop. The outside of fruit pieces are latexy, is that a word? (laughs) And a little sticky. It's only after biting into it that you get the juice, which is not nearly as much as, say, a pineapple or mango. The texture is like biting into string cheese, and then there's sweet juice. Huh. Two things that didn't go together in my Western brain. Once I got past my surprise texture issues, I found I loved the fruits. I don't eat it as often as watermelon or mangoes because there's not as much juice, and I'm usually looking for something sweet and hydrating. But when visiting friends and neighbors who put it out as a snack, I will always have a happy helping. No force needed. <laughs> Jackfruit is not the only tropical fruit I have had texture freakouts with. Lychee, it's like eating an eyeball with a hard pit in the middle. Dragon fruit, rambutans, and durian, all of which I now love. Aw. I think this was an excellent description as I still have yet to. Yeah. I've had it, again, I've only had it like vegan. Yeah. Right. Um, So I thought this was a pretty great (laughs) descriptor. And I, I think I mentioned before I have some friends who almost solely dislike foods based on texture. Yeah. It's almost always a texture thing when they don't like a food. Sure. I find that pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh. Um, Nick wrote, I just finished the jackfruit episode and was inspired to comment on your mini discussion of a potential tutti-frutti flavor episode by saying that maybe you could do a collection of episodes on fun and wacky ice cream flavors. This is because my wife and I recently had a fun fiasco discussing one of her favorite Midwest custard flavors, Blue Moon. After saying that the local place we go to gets the flavor right by using a more almond-based flavor profile compared to the more mainstream Fruity Pebbles version that can be found in stores, I tried to do a quick search of what the flavor was. What followed was a deep and mysterious rabbit hole involving a secondary search into how likely castorium was to be used in the shake my wife was enjoying. I'd encourage you to picture my wife's reaction as I read aloud my castorium research in real time. It was hilarious. In the end, she survived, and we learned that we live in the most likely hometown of the Blue Moon flavor. We also decided to agree that we would assume no beavers were involved in the (laughs) recipe our shop uses. Ignorance is bliss, and we'll continue to enjoy Blue Moon whenever it is the flavor of the day. What the heck is Blue Moon? (laughs) I want to know so badly. I have like no. I have fruity pebbles meets almonds. Um, yeah, I think that this must be a very specifically Midwest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh man! I and I also love just the idea of these kind of odd flavors and describing them almost as a sommelier would describe wine. Yeah, sure. The almond profile is very strong in this one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. More more homework, more research for future episodes. I love it. Yeah, and if any of you listeners listening have unique flavors that you would like yeah. to send our way, have questions about, please do so. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. And thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. Yes, um, uh, we also exist on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Andrew Howard and Dylan Fagan. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.